Good afternoon and welcome to the Emerging Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage, and this is the podcast where we speak to technology executives, founders and leaders. And today I'm very lucky to be joined by CTO of Ledgebrook. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm very happy to, to be here. Thanks for having me. No, no, thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, we were just discussing the weather here. I'm melting like a popsicle in the in the sun and um, i think that's what you call it in the u.s popsicles popsicles yeah and yeah, i think i was in that in being from the southeast like melting and like a popsicle is kind of like my favorite thing to do so i love the heat <laughs> we call them ice lollies in the uk that's <laughs> ice logs ice lollies so you get lollipops okay ice log i don't know piece of wood <laughs> not quite um, but like before we get into everything about Ledgebrook, you know, what you guys are doing and, and everything else we're going to chat about, um, I think it'd be great. You're not traditionally from InsureTech. That seems to be the theme from those in the tech space. It'd be great if you could give us an introduction to really how you get into tech and also how you ended up in InsureTech and, and working with Ledgebrook. Yeah. Uh, my my background's a little, a little weird. So I've, I've, coded from a young age my my brother and i were building telnet um rpgs back in the the 90s um but that's not what i went to school to do i went to school for finance and accounting actually and i did that for the first year out of college and master's program i got my cpa and absolutely just dreaded going to work every day because it was boring it was monotonous and um I wanted to do something a little more creative. And when you tend to do creative things in the accounting world, you tend to wind up in prison. So <laughs> I switched to, uh, I got lucky. Um, I had an acquaintance that wanted to build a software company that did accounting for law firms, plaintiff firms specifically. So that's how I got my start back in the tech world. Um, founded that company. It didn't succeed. We did that for a couple of years. And then you know, for the next 15 years, um, I was mostly in, in healthcare. Um, I did one place I started, there were 15 or so engineers. Beside the left, there were 2,000 employees, and we did the IPO and all that fun stuff. Um, and then uh, some, some time in fintech, mostly as a principal engineer. How I got to uh, Ledgebrook, I actually wanted to start my own uh, business. Uh, I'd built this this product that works with Kubernetes that sniffs network traffic to generate API documentation. And I talked to uh, a venture capital group, a couple of them, but one in particular, and they're like, this could work, but we just invested in this company and they need a CTO. You should talk to Gage. And I didn't know anything about insurance. I didn't know anything about Gage, but I was blown away by both him and then what he described as the what he was trying to fix in, in insurance. And, you know, I did a little due diligence, but signed up about a month a month later. Mm. Interesting. That's um, very much not a traditional route into uh, any tech. I uh, I can definitely empathize with the, the accounting stuff. I was in my previous life, uh, training to be a lawyer and um you know i will admit come 1 p.m 2 p.m i was literally falling asleep at my desk yeah. <laughs> with boredom and, and i knew at that point when my eyes were going at two o'clock you know it was probably time to start considering something a bit more exciting and um 
anyway but uh yeah it's interesting. Funny. I have my, I have the CPA, but like, I don't tell anybody I call it my scarlet letter. Cause as soon as it's mentioned, people are like, Oh, can you help with my taxes? Like I don't <laughs> even do my own taxes. Yeah. People probably would ask you if anyone knew, if anyone that knows me, you know, and knows that I did law, they won't be asking me for, for legal advice. That's for sure. <laughs> 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 Unless they want to cook the books or something. But anyway, I am, um, yeah, I wanted to before again we kind of get into a bit more. You know, Ledgebrook. Uh, you know, been going for a couple of years now. Been a really exciting time. You've joined kind of midway through that that journey. But could you just explain for the listeners a, a little bit about the Ledgebrook business and and what the mission is? Yeah. Uh, so the mission is we want to be the next Munich Re, which sounds you know very lofty. Uh, mm. But what we are is a tech forward MGA. Um, that you know marries the best of both tech and and insurance. We've got over a hundred years of experience with insurance industry veterans, and a hundred years of experience with a small but nimble engineering team to brings the best of you know software engineering practices from different walks of life, but not insurance. Um, we marry that together. Our, our mission is speed. So it's, you know, the fastest to get back to brokers, fastest to quote, fast to rate and indicate and make sure that that process is very, um, you know, basically picture perfect for our underwriters and also for our brokers. Nice. Nice. That's synced. <laughs> Something that's um, probably used to pitching that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we've gone to enough conferences and talked to enough investors now where you've got to have it down pretty pat. You're elevated yeah. to 30 seconds, yeah. right? What was that? Yeah, I was going to say, what was that? 25, 30 seconds? Nailed it. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't time it, but I, I probably haven't passed. Um, and yeah, we saw it. We announced that, you know, a lot of these podcasts uh, end up coming off the back of that. FinPro, we just show that interest and 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 really announce you know those that are at the helm of, of innovating and insured site but what was the what was the experience like for for you know you as a cto and for the business like you know do you think do you think they kind of i know the rules the game has changed and somewhat and what they're looking for but just from your experience you know what, what did you take away from it and how was it uh in terms of like coming coming aboard you know right after the the seed round yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was very. It, yeah. <laughs> I, it wasn't what I was expecting at first. Um, so I, I when I came on board, um, they had a, a fractional. They we had a, a fractional CTO, um, and uh, we had a contracting company on the dev side, um, and and they did a great job, and but. You know, I got there and, you know, after a couple of weeks, they're like, all right, we want to go, we want to go live by November 1st. And I started in, in October, I don't know, 11th or something. It's like, okay, where, where is the, uh, um, you know, the business requirements, uh, the documents. I was like, they were like, what? Uh, I was like, you know, the requirements for what the system has to do so that we can actually rate, quote, and bind. And they're like, we don't have that. And so <laughs> that was kind of an eye-opening, um, you know, transition and you know, the other thing that was that was interesting is uh, you know the expectations i guess are 
are from the industry, from the insurance industry veterans, you know, we're, we're pretty, pretty low. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'd be like, okay, we can get these forms done. You give me a new one. We can probably turn it around in 24 hours. We don't want to do rate changes. We can probably turn it around in, you know, a week or two with testing. And they're like, wow, this is this stuff that normally take months to years. Um, And so it's been fun kind of being able to be like, this is how we can, you know, make these transitions and these changes like very quick and be able to keep with that speed adage. Mm. And I mean, I guess that probably makes sense from expectation point. I mean, Clearco and, and previous companies in health tech that you were working at, they were quite significantly larger in terms of like, they would have had that process, they would have had that those elements probably upon arriving um, other than joining a how, how big was the business when you joined Sledgebrook? How many people? Uh, less than 10 full-time. Yeah, yeah. Was that a bit of a culture shock, or did you just kind of run with it? Well, yes and no. I mean, the culture shock portion was like I was the only the tech person, um, you know, which that means you do everything from why is my email not working to, you know, how do we implement this uh, ECS container to to run on whatever. Um, and uh, so that, that was a bit of a culture shock, but I've always preferred smaller organizations uh, in general, just because you don't have to cut through so much red tape in order to make the changes that you want to make. And so, you know, that's part of the reason that I've left other jobs is they've gotten more people and more bureaucratic. It just, you know, became a little more monotonous in terms of what I was able to do. Mm. And that, you know, it's always something uh, off camera when I'm speaking to CTOs, you know, when you when you look at the definition of chief technology officer within a 400-person company and a 10-person company, you know, the things that you're doing in a 10-man company in comparison to that, you know, ecosystem of 400, like, for, for, as a CTO, for you, what are the main what are the main challenges? What's the what's the biggest difference in terms of your role? Um, two opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm, it, and it's funny you say that because honestly, it's changed a lot since I even started. Right. So, like when I started, um, and some of this is still the same, but you know, I was the the IT support. I was you know the the lead engineer. I was the product manager. Um, so it was doing all those pieces. It was. You know, setting the the game plan for what we were going to get done in the next three months. It was helping uh, people set up their <laughs> their their new computers and, and Slack integrations, and then um, it was building out the actual underlying rating app and and underlying policy administration system. Um, you know, since then, I've hired six engineers and a product manager, um, and so the role it's it's changing a little bit right because now it's a lot more um delegating down and and managing the the new team members and making sure they have everything that they need to make sure that we can build the product successfully so the role well i still do some coding and i still do some of the you know product management stuff it's been nice to have people that are better at it than me that i can you know work with and not only help them but they can teach me stuff along the way Mm. And even when you're describing that, for me, that would sound like a, an engineering manager 
you know, the being close to your team and you know taking them through the day to day. But it's just it's just interesting the the definition of a CTO as you move up the realms of of scale of company. It changes quite significantly, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, you know, after the the Series A, Series B, you start getting into you know twenty, fifty, a hundred engineers there's this inflection point that you kind of have to decide as a uh, CTO, like, are you going to be more of the managerial um, with direct reports that in, in, in managing the employees, or are you going to want to spend more time in the code base? Um, for the most part, once you get to a certain level at, you know, 50 to a hundred, it's, you're not going to be touching the code anymore, right? You're setting yeah. Strategic yeah. direction, and you're setting, you know, you know, budgets for everybody underneath you, and trying to get everybody to point towards the north star. Um, and well, that's starting to happen here. Um, but you know, I I still love getting into the code base and and helping out that way too. And you know, one day I'll either have to say I can't do that anymore, or I'll have to go back to another startup and figure out how to do that again. And um. And the, the the market that Ledgebrook focuses on, the, what you guys have built, it's focusing on that middle market, excess and surplus within that kind of specialty um, insurance arena. Uh, an area which you and I spoke about, again, when you were attending events, um, you would mention ENS and people's ears would perk up. I remember you saying that. Like, in your opinion, I'm I'm actually having a lot of conversations from a search perspective and from a podcast perspective of those in ENS. Like, why is the space so hot right now? Like, in your opinion, what is it about? What why is it gathering so much attention, and excitement? Yeah, it, I mean, there's a few reasons. One is just because of rate increases that have been going up. I mean, you know, even in, in uh personal line so you see like people are moving out of stuff in florida and your your auto premiums are going up people don't want to do california because of fire i mean it's the same thing in commercial general liability um so that's one reason the other reason is a lot of stuff that are in the admitted market uh you know outside of vns are getting pushed down for whatever reasons they have too many losses um they're they're in this new class code that can, that they've added that no longer can fit in the box of a admitted carrier. And so we're getting a lot of things being pushed into the the market. I mean, it's, you know, in 2021 in the US, I think it was $50 billion in total addressable premiums um, in the commercial general liability space for ENS. So it's huge. Um, the reason that people's ears are starting to perk up when when you say ENS is because you, they they look at some of the the businesses that are in here you know like they look at Kinsale as an example um, and they see that their combined ratio which is you know their loss ratio plus their expense ratio for um, is, is like under eighty percent which is great return on investment so when investors you know see stuff like that they're like well how can we you know start getting into this uh, market. I mean, a couple other reasons are it's it's unregulated a, a lot more so than something in the admitted market, and uh, there's that leads to a lot of ability for innovation and changes that you wouldn't necessarily get um, in the admitted market, right? Because like if you wanted to make a change to your uh, your rating calculation to drive more premium, a lot of times that's stuff that has to go through. Um, 
regulatory bodies and it just takes a long time to be able to implement those changes. So that's another reason I think people are excited about the ENS market. Mm. And what, what sort of industries do you then kind of hone in on? You know, like you talked about um, potentially with some catastrophic elements in terms of wildfire, but like, you know, using a really loose examples from construction or whatever, you know, what, what industries are you finding that you're helping brokerages kind of sell insurance into? Well, what I, what I love about Ledbrook is we have a very broad appetite because we have a lot of people that have worked in various niche industries so that we can handle a lot of different industries. So, you know, <laughs> predominantly we do manufacturing and construction, but we do some habitational, we do some hospitality, we do retail um, and anything in between. Now, if you look at other places, most of them are very niche, like they focus like I do. New York construction, or I do California residential, but only apartment buildings and only ones that are over five stories. Um, and so that's kind of where we differentiate. It was one of the ways that we differentiate ourselves compared to some of the other things that you see. Mm. And in those industries you kind of touched on, you know, none of them are technical at all. <laughs> um, you know, they're set in stone. They you know, they're very busy industries, you know, hands-on physical activities, you know, is that, is that just the, where the excitement comes from trying to transform an industry that almost doesn't really even want to consider technology or insurance because it's just like, they just want to hand it to a broker and just like sort that out for me, you know? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, that's part of the excitement. For me, it's, uh, I think what you're alluding to is, you know, it's, it's antiquated in a lot of ways and yeah, you know, yeah. saw that in, in health, in healthcare, um, similarly to what we see in insurance. Um, a lot of time, one of the things that actually got me to, to take this job was when I was doing my, my own due diligence, because Gage would, you know, told me about some of the people were still, you know, relying on Excel to do their rating calculations um, but I, I talked to a few brokers through, um, you know, my network, not that I knew, but I got put in touch with and they're like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I actually still print out the pieces of paper and like do the math by pen and paper. Yeah. Um, and so when I hear that sort of thing, it's like your, your ears perk up, right? Because it's like, well, you know, that is something that we can automate. That is something that we can do better, faster, more accurate, um, and I think that was one of the big things that got me excited about this. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny when when people. I mean, I know I know a friend that has a construction business, and and it's all all these documents. Everything is everything that is his business is all in paper. He's up in Scotland, so yeah, you know, um, and it's like, <laughs> what happens if you get hit by a bus? What happens if your building goes on fire? Like. Yeah. It's just bonkers. It's crazy. Um, you know? and, and one of the things I love just, you know, bringing in the different software engineering people that we brought in, you know, they've all been in different industries. So it's like they have a different viewpoint of how things have worked well and, you know, in other software engineering organizations. And so it's been fun to try to incorporate those pieces as we build out this product and, you know, every little thing we do, for our end users, the underwriters, they're, they're, you know, they're always like, wow, you know, this, this would have taken months or years to, to, for us to make this change. 
Mm. <clears throat> yeah. No, it's super interesting. And and I get it. I mean, that's why I got into insurance from the executive search side, you know, to work with these businesses that are in turn transforming an industry. Like, it all goes back to my origin story of joining FinPro, whereby I had to get life insurance. I've got a daughter, you know, and, and the whole process was seven or eight cold calls. And at the end of those cold calls, I got two pieces of paper in the post to sign. And I'm just like, well, just email me it and I'll docu sign yeah. it. And it's like, what? <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, that, this makes a lot of sense, actually, you know. So, yeah, um, very interesting. And, and of course, at the heart of the um, the Ledgebrook platform, it's a low, no code um, offering um, some interesting kind of partnerships. But you opted initially to build that MGA low code technology at first and then transitioned into partnering with Socotra. So it's kind of like a buy and build feature. Yeah. Um, and and it's a, something that you deal with in every organization in my seat. It's like, what's the, when do you build and, and when do you buy? Um, yeah. When do you look code? When do you know code? The yeah. way that it started. Uh, so before I got here, the idea was that they were going to build the whole thing from scratch. They were going to build the underwriter workbench, the policy administration system, the the data warehouse, the federated API on top of it, and everything in between. Which, in theory, you know, sounds great, but you know, is way behind on uh, over budget and all that stuff that comes with it. And by six months in, nothing was actually done. Uh, for me, you know, somebody told me and it, and it stuck with me on the, the buy versus build decision. Like if, if you are going to, um, well, let me rephrase this. If it's, if it's not something that it's, you know, you know, enter your favorite colloquialism, you know, it's like your secret sauce or your competitive advantage or, or something like that. And it's not going to break the bank to buy it. You should buy it. So mm-hmm. when I think about the policy administration system, like, the ability to quote and to bind and to issue and to cancel and to re- endorse and to be able to send those documents out, that's not going to differentiate Ledgebrook at all. So that's when we went with Socotra. Um, it's, you know, it's it's low code for uh, being able to configure it to suit your product needs, but it also gives you the flexibility to do the stuff that's important for us. And for us, the in my opinion, the stuff that's important is you know, a lot of how do we put hand data in the hands of the underwriter to make their decision quicker and easier, remove that administrative crap that they have to do with their other jobs, the other places they've worked that's taken up 50 to 60 percent of their times and really uh, empower them so that they can make the better decisions to price risks. Mm. So what I mean, it's it's such a competitive space, you know, the the amount of conversations that I have that people are aiming to do that, you know, make the underwriters job easier, provide them with data, um, allow them to do the more human part of their job. And that's when we see companies utilizing the AI. But what's the maybe you can't give it away, but you know, what's the what's the secret sauce to if it's not the low code, the policy admin system, because you've integrated Scotra. what is it for for you guys and, and for you personally at Ledgebrook yeah I for I think it goes back to what Gage has said all along is it's it's speed um mm-hmm. if you 
look at the wholesale brokerages that are, you know, our customers in general, like they'll, they'll send out an email and wait for a response for, for weeks, right? Um, some, sometimes days on the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we make that process hours. Um, and, you know, soon as we start working on our binding authority product, you know, it's going to be seconds and minutes. Um, and so from my standpoint, that is, you know, building out the rating algorithm so that we can price things quickly, building out the out- rating algorithm so that as changes come in, we can incorporate them quickly and get a better pricing to our underwriters. It's, you know, being able to quickly classify something and triage it so that we know that the risk coming in the door is something that we don't want to touch and we can throw it out and not waste time on it. Um, those are the things that are Ledgebrook's competitive advantage. And that's what makes us you know, better than anybody else in the MGA space right now, because not only are we faster, but we have that breadth of appetite so that we can look at things that most people can't. So when you're a wholesale broker and you're saying, and you're thinking about, you know, who should I send this to? It's like, well, you know, I could figure out which niche market I can go through my Rolodex and try to remember that. Or, you know, I can send it to someplace that I know that looks at almost everything that, that uh, we send them. Mm. Nice. And and the 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 kind of low no code element to kind of rewind, I guess you know, I hear a lot of different definitions or a lot of what it means to different CTOs and and how it's run. Like, what does what does the whole low no code piece mean to you? Does it mean less a less onerous process of maintaining the platform for the customer? Is it is it low, no code in both ways for both Ledgebrook and the customer? Like, what does it mean to you, and, and how do you think it's evolved? That's, yeah, that's interesting to think about, um, especially, you know, that most of my background has been around actually trying to build stuff. And I think that when you think about it from a business perspective, right, it's like everybody knows that engineering is expensive, especially yeah. to get the good ones and to get it done correctly. Um, and so the, uh, as you uh, grow as a company and you try to figure out, you know, how can I reduce some of this cost expenditures? The, when you hear low code, no code, it sounds really good. Right. Because it's like, well, I can use something like Zapier and um, uh, not have to build out the, the Google Gmail integration to push stuff into S3, or I don't have to build out my uh, underwriter workbench or anything in between. Um, what, what ends up being tricky with it is, and this is what I've mostly seen, is it's great for proof of concepts and very small pieces that you want to get it, have it do. Once you start growing and finding edge cases and and things that are unique to your business that this low-code, no-code solution just doesn't handle, most of the time you're going to have to end up building it anyway. So the hard part is finding like that nice balance about what you can leave with the no-code, low-code solution that you don't you try to predict the future um you know that it's not going to be able to handle these things and what are you going to have to build yourself and i think it kind of goes back to the build versus buy a little bit but um it's the same idea in a lot of ways yeah and and you know you talk of the 
been able to produce a, a quote from months to days to hours, and then I was going to say, well, the goal's got to be minutes, and then you said seconds. <laughs> um, so maybe milliseconds is the next one after that, but yeah. I, uh, I, you know, from the quote, you know, you're very involved in the in the claims side of thing as well, you know, right through. We we actually, you know, going back to the build versus buy, when what differentiate Ledgebrook, we decided it wasn't going to be how the claims handling process. So yeah. we have a third party administrator that we push Cedric. that on. Cedric, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, for, for me, you know, as I'm learning more, probably much like yourself about the space, you know, claims for me is quite a fascinating area because it's the it's the one that customers always you know it's I think for me it's a reason why I chose who I am insured with because of if we get to the claims process I just I just know it it, it, it will happen you know it will probably be quite seamless I hope <laughs> not too yeah. painful and drawn out but obviously that's kind of bad for insurance it's such a when you really really think about it, it's quite a bizarre industry insurance but you know, I do appreciate that the technology can speed up the logging of a claims process, but it's that whole capacity issue. And if you manage the claims, can you then pay out the claim? Because usually it goes back to an insurer that then, so you can process it as quickly as you want, but then it could still take six months for the for it to get paid out type thing. So I just find the whole claims arena, it seems to be the most underserved, but for me, it seems the most obvious to attack with technology and, and make the whole process just completely pain-free. Yeah, it's funny you say that because when you think about what, why does insurance exist, right? I mean, it is it is to pay out <laughs> claims in case of these things that happen, but yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, my own experience from the personal claims filing has been a nightmare to, to put it. <laughs> um, but I'd be interested to see you know, when you go to these the the conferences, right? There's a lot of people, a lot of vendors that are there that are selling things to make uh, the claims process better, uh, or you know, using AI to you know predict when a claim comes in, like what's what's more likely to go to litigation, and uh, so there, there's definitely some uh, innovation happening in that space, but I'm with you. I'd love to see something that would make the the process better. And if, if you could sell that as, uh, the insurance company to the, the underlying insured, it's like, you know, if you do have a claim then you, this is the experience you're going to get. And I, I think that would resonate with, with the customers. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not so much the insurers, but certainly the, certainly the customers, um, yeah. I'm just kind of conscious of your your time. You know, I wanted to talk about the the culture that you know you've built or helped to build so far. You know, it's led by very much insurance veterans um, at Ledgebrook. Uh, most of the team, however, is tech, um, so it really kind of makes up that insure tech piece really nicely. Uh, you know, what is it that you think? Because I, I, you know, reading loads of things online and chatting to you that kind of phrase that stuck out to me from Ledgebrook is that talent density is our North Star. Like, what is it that you think makes the team so unique? Is it just, yeah, what, what is that? Um, it makes us unique. I mean, I, I think you, you're touching on it, right? Like, it's it's the ability to combine what 
people who have been in this industry for 30 plus years already have known and, and, and see what can change to make it better and bringing in technologists and software engineers from other industries that have seen things that have worked well and combining those, those two things together. Um, so that's like a very high level, right? Yeah. But in terms of, you know, the actual people that, that, we target, um, we are, you know, the culture uh, of, of builders, right? That's what we look for. We like people that have built out their products, you know, their product engineers, they built out uh, teams, they built out big books of businesses. They're not afraid to start from scratch and, and build something out that way. That's a lot of what we look for when we do our interviews from a cultural standpoint, um, you know, giving examples of times that you've, you've done, you know, you built something from scratch. Um, yeah. And when they come in, you know, you can see it, right? Because they they take the ownership of the things that you give them and they get excited about building out these new pieces. From my standpoint, you know, it's like pieces of our new product lines or making the rating system better. Like it's, that's the sort of attribute that we really look for. Mm. And do you think now that you're at the point that you're at probably, well, I assume at some point going for series A um, or series B, sorry. What, what, what round? Series you? A. Yeah, we did yeah, series A. And the, the seed round it was. And, um, you know, do you think now, because I think we briefly chatted about it, you know, bringing that outside, particularly in tech. So when I'm asked to do a CTO search or a, even an engineering search, you know, 50-50, people don't really care if they come from insurance or, shall we say, an insure tech that's been there, done it, you know, uh, a lemonade, a can and shit, whatever, you know, these big companies that have went to that scale. Do you think now it's important that you find one, that missionary kind of building mindset, but also bring that insure tech in as well? Or do you kind of see the insure tech as more of a nice to have within engineering? Um, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, right? Like, of course, they would have, they would yeah. have both. Um, and, it's funny when you mention Lemonade and some of the other ones that have gone through what a lot of people have been called InsureTech 1.0. Yeah. Uh, that that is what happened. You had all these people come from outside of insurance and say like, "Oh, well, this is you know slow and terrible. Like we can do it better." But they didn't actually have any insurance experience, and so they built these large you know growth at no cost companies. Uh, and and you see it biting them now where they have like 200% combined ratios against the premiums they're generating and their stock is, you know, through the floor. Um, so for me, it, if I see somebody that has both, I will immediately you know put it to the top of the list. But uh, that being said, from what I think you can teach more quickly between like great engineering practices versus, you know, learning the underlying things that we need to know from insurance so far. And it, so far it's been insurance and we do have, you know, the hundred plus years of insurance people already to help us as we start, you know, coming up with our own ideas about how we can make this process better. We bounce it back off them. They sit in our meetings and I say, well, yeah, that could work. Here's why, or no, uh, X, Y, and Z. Mm. Because, yeah, it's the reason I ask as well to a degree is 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 that it's the way that insurance moves in terms of innovation. They think in 
and decades not and getting stuff out, shipping stuff out every day, 20 times a day. And, and that can be reliant on the industry to some degree. So it's just, you know what engineers are like sometimes. They want to move fast and move quick. But um, maybe there's that, that learning curve which or understanding that just comes more with someone that's done it and insure tech. But, but yeah, it's interesting kind of viewpoint from yourself. Yeah, I mean, and it's a good part to to emphasize right like you can when when i came in you know that it wasn't a challenge in the sense that like it stopped me from doing stuff it was like a it was an opportunity because now uh, the uh, my customers the underwriters are expecting stuff to take months to get done but you know any <laughs> any small piece more than a month is is better and that's like i'm used to doing, turning stuff around in days and hours right that's what you do at mm. small startups and in different industries um now you know, obviously there's there's some things that have been hard from the slow standpoint like you know we have we're an mga so we have uh, we have our front end carriers and our reinsurance and sometimes getting changes uh accepted by them can take a little while so like the code will be done and waiting for approval from outside influences um and that's you know been an interesting piece to to swallow because most places i've ever worked has always been the engineering building the product out has been the slow part that you have to wait on and not here mm. and then kind of finishing point but sam i thought with you guys you're never kind of fully done building that culture, particularly not where you guys are, but um seems like you have a lot of kind of fun stuff and it's and it's things that, you know, I'm asked of in terms of what other companies are doing and, and from a remote perspective that is because you guys are fully remote, that's correct. Yeah. And totally. um and just trying to engage because I'm fully remote, but you know, Alex and Sophie who, you know, have their own respective podcasts and, you know, they are in the office and then we have Erin who's in the US. So Sometimes you do feel quite disconnected, but I loved what you guys did, you know, from the thing that came from the CEO where you give someone $500 to, to go and buy something, then get them to take a photo of it. And then there was another few bits and pieces, but from a cultural perspective, there was things that were just different than what you guys were doing, which I loved. Yeah, I, I love that idea. That was from our COO. Um, so when we had our, we bound our first policy, um, they sent out an email and it's like, everybody that is at the company gets $500 and you can go do whatever you want with it. Um, you know, go to a nice dinner, you go, go gamble, put it on red at a roulette <laughs> table. You could, you know, rent five jet skis for your friends, whatever you want. Um, and the only criteria is that you have to take a picture of whatever you end up doing. And so they uh, created a book of everybody's uh, picture and the, uh, uh, the first deck page of the policy and that's, and they give it, give it out to everybody. Um, so it's like you're saying, it's little things like that, that I think are great. Uh, it's hard, right? Like nobody knows how to do remote perfectly yet. Um, yeah. and one of the things outside of those, like those bonding ideas and, and just celebrating successes on like an inordinate basis, um, is you know, when you build out your team, and when they start, you know, what are like some of the foundational principles that um, really set, 
you apart. And, you know, one for us is just, you, we trust, we trust implicitly when people come on board that they're going to make the right decision that here's a company credit card and you, you buy what you need to do to get your job done. And, you know, it's that sort of empowering idea of, you know, the team is greater than the, the individual that, you know, Ledgebook really stands behind and we've seen it now, you know, do we get it wrong sometimes? Sure. Um, but that's where you've got to learn from your mistakes and, and just continue to to build upon them. Mm, yeah. So true. And Nathan, I would, I could chat to you for quite a bit sometime, but I'm conscious of you're saying you're a busy man. Um, so I guess that just kind of brings us nicely to the, the end of this, but um, thank you for coming on and, and giving us your time. It was, um, it was great to have you on. Yeah, I was very happy to you invited me and love to share about Ledgebrook and everything we're we're working to build. Yeah, well, hopefully we can uh, maybe make this meeting in an in person in, in New York at some t- point. You know, I know there's enough insure tech events, but um, yeah, as I say, thanks again for the time. <laughs>